will get started. Dear Lord, we come before you today. We are so thankful for your love for us, your faithfulness, the, the many ways that you show us in your word. And we just pray, Lord, that as we study your word, that you would open our minds and our hearts and our hearts would be soft, Lord, to the, your teaching and that we would just be pliable to your sanctification, Lord. We pray that you would bless this um, time this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's start with a little background. Um, Hosea prophesied to the northern kingdom of Israel um, before the Assyrians would um, invade, and it was a time of affluence in Israel. And just as we see in our own culture, when life gets easy, people don't see their need for, uh, for God and they begin to do what's right in their own eyes. And the same was true in Israel. We see a decline in morality and people going after a variety of idols. Most notably, they try to mix their religion with the Canaanites and um, their worship of Baal. And as I was studying, I went through um, the study that Katie did on the overview of the Bible, which really was one of the best studies ever <laughs> I've ever taken. Um, but she had this handout on the um, kings of Israel and of Judah. And on this side is Judah. And it's kind of what I would expect to see from human kings. You'll see this list of these were good and these were bad, and these started out good and ended bad, and vice versa, and just kind of what you would expect from a mix of you know human kings. And then you have on this side you have Israel, and there's one word through down through every single one of them. Bad. <laughs> they were just all bad. And you know, that's that's when Hosea is prophesying, is is during um and the, the people that he's prophesying to. Because all too often, people follow the king, you know? So if the king is good, many times the people are doing good. And if the kings are bad, the people, it's very easy for us to slide in that direction. Um, this is a very unusual type of prophecy. God doesn't just have Hosea prophesy verbally, but commands him to marry and use his marriage as an example. In chapter 1-2, um, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. And um, as I read multiple commentaries, because of course none of this is <laughs> um, it was interesting to see the multiple explanations of what this meant. You know, um, some believed that she was a prostitute. Some believed that she wasn't a prostitute when Hosea married her because that would have gone against his command. And it says a wife of whoredom, but understand that they, he, um, in that verse that we just read, um, it says the land commits great whoredom. And so some felt like it was a comment on the um, culture that existed where, in this case, sexual promiscuity was commonplace and that his wife's unfaithfulness would come later. 
Regardless, you know, we know for sure. <laughs> um, we know from verse two that Hosea's wife will be unfaithful because that was the example that the Lord was showing the people of Israel. So in verse three, we see that Hosea goes out and marries Gomer, and she had three children. And we know that Hosea and Gomer don't name their children. God names their children. And not pleasant names. <laughs> I know we talked about this in our small group. I'm sure you probably did in yours too. So the first child is a son named Jezreel. And at first pass, that might not be so bad because Jezreel means God sows. However, the Israelites would understand the meaning behind that name. Um, Jezreel was the name of the city where basically a massacre had happened by Jehu, and um, God was not happy about it. And it was a warning to the people of Israel that this could happen to you. So um, God specifically says in verses 4 and 5, And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day, I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. So, definitely a warning. <laughs> I'm out warning. And if that's not clear enough, the second child is a daughter who is named No Mercy. In verse six, she conceived again and bore a daughter, and the Lord said to him, call her name No Mercy, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. And, you know, these are really strong, strong statements. This is not a kid on the playground shouting threats. <laughs> this is God, the creator of everything, and saying, I'm not going to have any mercy on the house of Israel. And, of course, the third child is born in verses 8 and 9. When she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son, and the Lord said, Call his name not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. And God is rejecting Israel. And, you know, he shouted it as loud as he could shout it to the people of Israel. Um, there's always a lot of speculation as to whether or not the children are Hosea's. Um, it is interesting that only the first child does say, Bore him a son. And then in the other two cases, it just says conceived and bore a son or daughter. And so it could imply that they were the result of Gomer's unfaithfulness. Um, but again, you know, we don't know. It doesn't say specifically. And what's important is that we know that Gomer was unfaithful um, to Hosea. And in Hosea 2.2, it says, Plead with your mother, please, for she is not my wife and I am not her husband that she put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts. And so now we see this separation, this divorce of Hosea and Gomer, and we see the Lord separating and divorcing himself from the people of Israel and the punishment that they will receive as a result of their adultery. But we also see the Lord's mercy beginning in verse 14. He details what he would like his relationship to Israel to be. He wants to speak tenderly, to be their one and true God, to bring peace, to be betrothed, 
to reverse the names and meanings of Gomer's children, bring back the original meaning of Jezreel, to have mercy, to say, you are my people. God continues with his example with Hosea in chapter 3, and the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins, which the commentary I read just said that that was um, something that they did in some of their uh, worship of other idols. It was part of their the worship, the cakes of raisins. <laughs> so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. Um, and one commentary said that that is, was basically most likely equal to the price of a common slave. So Hosea is told <coughs> to remarry, and not just to remarry, but to love Gomer. And, and did, you, did you stop and think about that? I mean, I would be very surprised if there was anyone in this room who did not know someone who had experienced unfaithfulness in their marriage or even experienced it yourself. It's torn apart many families. And, you know, aside from what our culture would have you to believe, our sin affects other people. And many with times with long-lasting effects. And who are our sympathies with? Are they with the adulterer? Are they with Gomer? No. We sympathize or we empathize with the spouse of the adulterer, Hosea. I mean, who doesn't feel for him? You know, I, I think about what his friends and family thought, you know, and how they would feel so bad for him and would, would, would want to, you know, protect him from all these things that he's going through. Um, and, you know, all the agonies surrounding, you know, separation and divorce. And then you're going to take her back? <laughs> you know, they must have been like, are you kidding? Uh, multiple affairs, literally a slave to her sins since Hosea had to buy her back, and then to love her and to reconcile her. And what is that all about? And as I, you know, thought about Hosea, if ever there was a time from a human perspective to do a Jonah, <laughs> that would have been it. <laughs> Turn and run. <laughs> but, you know, over and over, you know, it doesn't say that Hosea argues with God. It doesn't say, you know, that there was any big thing. God said it and Hosea did it, you know, and it's, it's pretty amazing. They kind of, you know, really don't tell you that much about Hosea himself, but you see that he is faithful over and over immediately to whatever God tells him to do, which I think is pretty amazing. Um, it's very similar to the same thing God did when he sent Nathan to confront David over his sin with Bathsheba in 2 Samuel chapter 12. <clears throat> and the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd 
to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against this man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall return the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing and because he had no pity. So just like David, our sympathies are with the poor man, just as our sympathies are with Hosea. But in the next verse, Nathan said to David, you are the man. And God is saying that to Israel and to us. You are Gomer. <laughs> we are not meant to identify with Hosea. He's a picture of God, a picture of Christ. We and Israel are meant to identify with Gomer, the unfaithful whore. Now, that's kind of hard. <laughs> that's kind of hard to think about and to, you know, to take that in. It, it, it hurts. And it's hard to examine our hearts and bear it open to see those idols that shouldn't be there. Those areas we're not as faithful as we should be. But that is exactly what God wants us to do. If we can begin to do that, it opens the door to repentance, forgiveness, and restoration of the relationship God wants with us. So I don't know of anyone here who um, worships Baal. <laughs> so that's probably not our idol. Um, the common definition is, is anything that is more important to us than God. And I know she um, touched on this, Nancy Guthrie, in hers. And she said, whatever we believe we must have for our happiness is an idol. We take something good, such as meaningful work, and turn it into an ultimate thing, warped with ambition and greed. We take something good, such as parenting, and make it into an ultimate thing, as we allow our identity to be defined by our child's success or failure. Um, so, you know, and we think, you, you can think about what you spend your time on, what you spend your money on. Um, and like she said, it's not necessarily something that's bad. Uh, so what are some of those things that you see um, in our culture, in our lives, that become idols? What kinds of things? Some parents choose sports for their children as idols. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Rather be, go to that rather than church on Sunday evening. Right? Good. Sports. What else? What 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 causes us problems in our lives? Things. Things. Yeah, absolutely. We we yeah. <laughs> Somebody else said something weird. Oh, technology? Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting one. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else? Power or prestige. Very yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. That can just become so important to us that we make poor decisions sometimes, don't we? Yeah. Career. Career? Yes. Absolutely. Climbing yeah. that ladder. Entertainment. <laughs> Entertainment's huge. I mean, we see it. It's easy to see in our kids, right? Because kids are kids and they, you know, whether it's video games or, you know, whatever it might be, but it's just as true for adults. You know, whether you're spending 12 hours a day in front of the television or, 
you know, whatever it is, all those things can become idols. And so we have to be, we have to be really careful about that. Um, Okay, and in and God doesn't just you know show them this example; He pleads with them in verses um, in chapter two, beginning in fourteen. He 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 pleads with the people of Israel. He shows them His desire. He shows them His restoring love. He said, "Therefore." Behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall enter as in the days of her youth and at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband and no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, the war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth, and the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow her for myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy, and I will say to not my people, you are my people, and he shall say, you are my God. And we talked about this a little bit before. I mean, why is God willing to do that? Well, because he loves Israel, a love beyond our comprehension. <laughs> and he has paid the price. Just as Hosea paid the price to buy Gomer out of sin, Christ paid the price price for our sin on the cross. 1 Corinthians 7.23 says you were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. And my study Bible says bondservants of men <clears throat> refers to sinful slavery, i.e. becoming slaves to the way of men, the ways of the world, and the ways of the flesh. And this is the slavery about which we are to be concerned. And I liked um, that definition. So continuing on with Hosea's redemption of Gomer in chapter 3, verse 3 she says, and I, or says, And I said to her, You must dwell in mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household god. After the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. So Hosea tells Gomer God's plan for their reunion to continue the example um, for the people of Israel. Gomer would be Hosea's and dwell with him faithfully. She would not have sexual relations for many days with anyone, including Hosea. 
Um, MacArthur said, as a further element of the picture of God's dealings with his covenant people during the present age, Israel would exist without her existing political and religious, both true and false relations, until Messiah returns at the second advent to set up his millennial reign. And of course, you know, we see over and over um, that God's, we talked a little bit about it in our group, God's covenant, he's going to honor his covenant. Even if we break it, he is always faithful. And so he he does preserve his remnant of people um, out of Judah and uh, will bring all this to pass in the second coming, which of course we all look forward to. <laughs> God will judge Israel in this case and find her guilty. She is punished and put away when she doesn't heed the warnings and the pleas. I mean, we see through chapters 4 through 14, He's very clear <laughs> over and over again. And he goes back and forth. And these are the punishments. These are the consequences. These, you know, his pleadings with them. And they harden their hearts. You know, they, they don't respond. Syria does invade them. But God always leaves us with hope. Israel um, and uh, will be restored to the Lord if he doesn't give up. So, I mean, this is meant to be an emotional book. You know, God doesn't want us to view him as this emotionally distant being. Um, And he consistently uses the picture of marriage uh, through the entire book to represent his relationship with his people. That's what God wants in our relationship with him. You know, we see here with the Lord and Israel and um, wanting to be their husband. We see it in the New Testament with the church being the bride of Christ. Um, and so many times I think we distance ourselves. Um, we make other things more important. We ignore his mercy and love. It's, it's the same as a marriage, you know, that's breaking apart. What happens in a marriage when you distance yourself and <laughs> when that love isn't there and, um, you know, those marriages fall apart. And that's what um, happens here is God has to say to Israel, you know, you're no longer my people. And um, we have to be careful as the bride of Christ that we don't do the same thing. Obviously, we can't break our promises to Him. Um, we need, you know, to make Him Lord of our life. So God laid it out for Israel very clearly and graphically as you read the remainder of the book. But He ends with an emotional plea to turn to Him in chapter fourteen, eight, and nine. Oh, Ephraim, which Ephraim was just the um, largest and most influential. Um, of the ten um, tribes that were up there, so many times he would use Ephraim to represent all of uh, the northern the northern nations. Anyway, oh Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. 
Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. So God appeals to Israel and to us to choose the Lord's way. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this book of Hosea. Um, we thank you for the example that Hosea was to just faithfully follow uh, your commands, Lord. And this example um, of this unfaithful life. And Lord, we just pray that we would examine our hearts, that we would just stay soft to your um, teaching, that you would help us to respond in the right way, Lord, that we would be faithful, that we would grow to be more Christ-like, that we would grow to be um, the bride that you would have us to be before Christ. And we just pray, Lord, that um, we would not harden our hearts to God's appeals in our life. And I just thank you for this time. I thank you for these ladies and just pray that you would bless our week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Dave. Thank you.